we're in a new series called You Do You. Last week, we started this series, uh, and we talked about how we are to share the hope we have in Jesus in the way that God created us to be. How does that look? Well, if you're an extrovert, that will probably look a little different than if you are an introvert. Or if you're kind of a thinker, you're going to have a different bent on how you share your faith, how you share your relationship, how you share the hope that you have in your life than maybe if you're a little bit more of a doer and an activist. Uh, And so the overall idea is you do you. You share in the way that God made you. You share in the way that God created you. And if you were here last week, let me just go a little bit of review here. I highlighted the six different styles of evangelism, of how that takes place. These are six biblical characters in Scripture um, that shared their hope in Jesus in different ways. So Matthew had kind of an interpersonal type of relationship with friends that he shared his faith in. And you heard from Robin McEwen last week. She shared about how she has done that in her neighborhood. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the Samaritan woman, so I won't address her right now. But Paul, Paul was more of an intellectual thinker. Paul kind of rationed and and reasoned and went through steps, wrote a lot of our New Testament theology. Next week when Mark Spence Spence is here, um, he is that bent. And so that's why we asked him to come in and explain about the problem with evil and uh, the person God uses. So he is more of the intellectual type of style in that way. Uh, Blind men had a great testimony. Dorcas served and people thought of her highly in that way and she pointed people to the Lord, and then Peter was more of a confrontational type of person. He just let it out. He just said it. He was bold and brash, and yet God used that to see over 3,000 people come to know him uh, at what we would call Pentecost. And so we also discussed last week about how God has people in our lives for us to share with. Um, What are called the Greek word is the oikos, friends, household, neighbors, work associates, whoever it may be, um, that we would share our hope with. These are people already in our lives that um, we are to take those kind of steps with. And so, as we said last week, you do you. Be who you are and be that well. Uh, St. Francis de Sales said, or in the Stockton slang, it's you do you. All right, that's what we talked about last week. And so today we are going to talk about the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. And so if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. If you don't, upstairs you should have some in those pews. Downstairs, underneath those chairs, whip those puppies out. Open them up to John chapter 4. If you don't know where John is, you got Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Kind of about two-thirds of the way through Scripture. Find one of those four books Find John in the midst of there and turn to the fourth chapter of John. As you're doing that, let me introduce you to this woman. She's a woman who's been labeled and mislabeled. She's been stepped on and kicked around. She's been cast away and an outcast in her village. She's looking for love in all the wrong places, and she finally finds it where she least expects it. Life has called her a loser, she is a loner, and yet we see her used by God in a way that changes lives forever. You say, how is that possible? This woman 
once she knew who Jesus was, used her innate friendships, used her style of sharing to go back into her village and share about who Jesus was with others. She didn't know everything. She simply said, you come and see for yourself. She invited people to come. And because of that, Scripture says that there are people in heaven today who claim Jesus as Savior, who came to know him in that way because of this woman's boldness to step out and do as God made her and created her to do. Let's see her story. John chapter 4. Let me jump in in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, and that's John the Baptist, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, says he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So let me kind of set you with this story. Let me show a map up here on the screen, give you an understanding of what Jesus is doing. Back 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived. He ministered in this region of Judea. He ministered often in this region of Galilee as well. Right in between Galilee and Judea is this town or this area called what? Samaria. Samaria is an interesting place. Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, there was a split in Israel. This is Israel right there along the Mediterranean Sea. The northern and the southern kingdoms in the Old Testament talks about had a split. And when it was split, Assyria, which is up in this area here, I'll put it over here for those of you who are on the other side, brought in foreigners to settle in this area of Samaria. They did that to kind of settle things down. They did that to create kind of some diversions in there. But as often happens, when people bring foreigners into a land, people begin to say, well, they look kind of nice. They get to know them a little bit. And they say, let's share our lives together. And so these foreigners began to marry the Jewish people. And so you have these full-blood Jews who are now married to some of these other foreigners who have been coming in, and they begin to have children, and these children are what known, are known now as Samaritans, people from Samaria. And pure Jews hated this mixed race because they felt the Jews who intermarried had betrayed their people and betrayed their nation. And so now racism begins to rear its ugly head. It's one of the reasons Jesus tells a story about, and everyone in our culture has heard, the good Samaritan. That's the person from Samaria. And he's highlighted in that story because Jesus wants them to see it's not about a race. It's not about a people who you look down upon. So he highlights in that story. That's a different story for a different time. You can read that in the Bible as well. But as far as we're concerned, a good Jew would do everything they could to avoid traveling through Samaria. And so the Jews from Judea, which where Jesus was, would maybe come along this side. They, here's the well that we're going to talk about here today. Would go around and come up through. They would not, though, want to go through Samaria. You didn't do that if you were a good Jew. And so now Jesus is also coming to abolish some of those social restrictions that the people had come to settle in on. All right. Verse 4 again. Let me go through 7. 
says, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, why is the sixth hour important? Well, first of all, the sixth hour was noontime, so it's 12 o'clock. We're going to find out why that's important in just a second here. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, this was highly unusual for a Jewish man to converse with a Samaritan woman. You just did not do this. Because not only are we dealing here with racism, we're dealing with sexism as well. A respectable Jewish man would not talk to a woman who, number one, was from Samaria, who was, number two, living in sin, and we're going to find out about that in just a bit, and then number three, you would not communicate or talk with someone, a woman of the opposite sex, a person of the opposite sex, in a public place. And this well was a public place. You just didn't do this. And so when Jesus kind of gives this statement or question of sorts, he's not as much asking the woman a question as he's making a statement about how he views her. Because let me put some more pieces of the story together. Wells were almost always located outside of the city and usually along the main road. And so twice a day, the women of the city or the village would go together in the morning and the evening to get water for their families in the city. They would go together, as women often do, right? I mean, you're in a group of women, and one of them says they have to go to the bathroom. They're all going to the bathroom, right? They go, oh, I have to go too. Okay, I'll go too. You know, just that's what ladies do. They, they share. We don't know what you do in there, but, you know, you, you do together. And so these women would come morning and evening together. But this woman came in the sixth hour. This woman came at high noon. You don't go out at high noon. At high noon, it's hot. The sun is right overhead. At high noon, you're on your own. At high noon, it's not the social time for the ladies to gather and talk as they go back and forth from the well. At high noon... You come out on your own. And Jesus, knowing even the reputation of this woman, still sought her out. Jesus, knowing that she didn't have other people around here. Jesus, knowing that she was an outcast. Jesus, knowing that there was a reason that she was on her own, still came, sat and talked with her. Let me say this. Jesus would do the same thing with any of us today. And so no matter what you have done, no matter what lifestyle you have walked in here with, God says, you are not beyond my reach. God looks at you today and says the same thing he's going to say to this woman here. And God is telling you, hey, so we just sang the song, would you walk with me? Would you walk? Would, would, can we go together through this life? 
because I'm here for you. I don't want you to have to do this on your own. I don't want you to be a loner. And I know that Jesus would say this to us as well. I know Jesus met this woman right where she was at, really at her hangout, physically. She went to a well. He was there with her. But spiritually, he also met her where she was at, and he offered to bring her to the place that she should come to. Watch this. Verse 8, back in the story. It says, the disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Some of the texts actually insert that um, the, the words that Jews don't use dishes that Samaritans have used. Jews don't put their lips where Samaritans have put their lips. You, you, you see a little bit what Jesus was up against here? I mean, this was just not something that was just, oh, she's kind of icky and has the cooties. This has been a part of the culture, the generations for generations for generations. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And I think it's at that point that the woman starts to say, there is something unique about this man. I don't know what it is yet. I'm not sure I like it yet. But there's something different. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Goes on to verse 13. Jesus said to him, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will, be, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. She didn't fully get it. She, she's beginning to dialogue a little bit. She's beginning to kind of come in and take a step and be a little bit more engaged. But then Jesus does an interesting thing. In fact, it's something that if you read the text, it might just make you a little bit uncomfortable. If I was your counselor and all of a sudden I threw this question on you, you probably would get up and walk out of the office, say, that's a little too close, that's a little bit too much, I'm not ready for that yet. Jesus does something, he kind of he rips the scab off that needed to be ripped off. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. See, what Jesus does is he brings out this big old floodlight of truth, and he shines it on her life. He's not telling her what to do. He's just exposing truth in her life. A little bit like maybe if you went to um, 
uh, a matinee movie. You know, I've been to a matinee movie where it's dark and you're watching the movie and all of a sudden you get out, maybe it's the midsummer, and, and you take a step out into it's 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon and your eyes have not adjusted and you're kind of a little bit blinded by the light. That's probably how the woman felt here. Jesus had just shined this huge floodlight of truth onto her life and maybe some things that she had been doing in her life. And, and, and I'm not so sure she was ready for it. But watch how Jesus does this. He just kind of begins to ask some questions. And he gets her talking. A few years ago, I met a gal in the back of her service um, who I had met and known for a few months and um, I had met she and her boyfriend. They had been coming to our, our services. And um, I knew that they had been living together, and, and um, they had been coming, and it was great to welcome him in and see them there. And um, I just hadn't seen him for a few weeks. And so I asked her. I said, how are you guys doing? And she began to kind of explain a little bit how maybe he wasn't as much interested in church and the spiritual things of church. He wasn't interested really in getting married to her as well, which is what her desire was in that relationship. And, and so as we began to talk, I kind of interrupted her a little bit, and I said, you know, you can't control him. You can't control what he does. You can only kind of control the steps that you can take. You can only control yourself. And she said, yeah, I know. And I said, as you're hoping to have him walk along with you in life, um, do you see an area of your life that maybe doesn't line up now with your Christian faith? Because she had become a Christian. He wasn't yet. I said, do you see an area maybe that's not lining up together, specifically the living together in that kind of a situation? She kind of looked at me, and, and I said this. And I don't know why I said this. I just said this. You might be shocked that your pastor would say this, but this is what came out. I said, why does he need to buy the cow when he's getting the milk for free? And she looked at me, and I looked at her. She looked at me, I looked at her. She said, oh, yeah. Now, some of you might say, Pastor, you couldn't have said that. Look, I am sanctified. I'm not petrified, all right? I, I know what's going on out there, okay? Okay? I, I, I got to read on things on this. So we talked, and we prayed about that, and, and she went home. And she went home, and she told her boyfriend what I had told her. He said, no, Pastor wouldn't say that. And she said, yeah, he did. And then he laughed said, ha, ah, that's kind of funny. And then he paused and he said, no, wait, 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 no, that's not. And so he picked up the phone and he called me. <laughs> and he said, did you say that? I said, absolutely, I said that. And he said, you got me. He said, when I heard it said like that, I realized I wasn't doing right by my girlfriend. I realized I was using her for my own pleasure. I realized I was using her for my, own, for, for my own agenda in life. You got me. And all I had done is just prompted by the Holy Spirit, kind of shine a little truth under the relationship. I really didn't tell them what they should do or what they should not do. I let her talk, and I let her share more when I asked her that question. And she realized it, and he realized it. And I said, why don't you guys come on in? Let's just talk. Let's see where this relationship is going. Because if 
She is now a follower of Christ. We want to talk to you a little bit more about what that means and the effect that it has on your life and the steps that you might want to take in your walk as well. Because you've got to decide. Do you want to marry her? Do you want to separate from her? Where is life going? Because right now, the steps that you're taking aren't taking you to that destination. That was a defining moment for him. Just like it was a defining moment for this woman who had some truth shined on her life as well. And maybe some of you are here today and there's something in your life that you need a little truth shined on. Today could be a defining moment for you as well. Maybe you're here today and you've been drinking up some water that's not been very satisfying in your, in your life. Maybe you've been dabbling in an illicit affair. Maybe you've had an affair, or maybe you've been flirting with having an affair, and you know the seeds have been planted. Maybe you haven't taken that step yet, but you know you could easily go that way. Maybe you've been seeking alcohol, maybe drugs to kind of cover some things up in your life. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's a sexual addiction that you've been dealing with. Maybe you've been having an affair with your work. Maybe you've been overworking, putting too much time into that and ignoring the relationships that God has given you in your life. And you know it. Maybe you've been chasing your own ambitions. Life has been about you. Maybe you're an approval seeker and you can't get enough of it. This woman, as we've seen, came back six times to a well that did not satisfy her. Look at what it says again in verse 18. Jesus said, you've had five husbands, and the one you have now isn't your husband. What you've said. She was the one who said it. He drew that out of her. He said, what you have said, yes, indeed, is true. Now, we're not told why the woman had five husbands. But obviously, this wasn't a good thing. It was not an acceptable thing in this day. And perhaps, I mean, let's just, you know, guess at what maybe is taking place. Maybe five of the husbands have died. In which case, the Jewish culture would probably say that this woman was cursed. They would say, you know, what, what sin has brought this about that all these men are continuing to die in your life? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe each of the five husbands had left her, which of course would be a very negative thing to have happen in her life. In her life. Perhaps she tried to have children for these men, and she couldn't, which would have made her be viewed as being worthless in this culture, because that's what women were supposed to contribute and be a part of culture. Every good woman who got married should have children, would be in the back of her mind. We, we don't know if going through those five husbands was her decision or the men's decision, but what we do know is that this woman is thirsty because life had left her thirsty. Thirsty for dignity, thirsty for unconditional love, thirsty for a lifelong commitment that was not happening, thirsty for self-dignity, thirsty for friendships. Remember, she's out here on her own. There's no other gals around. She doesn't associate with them. She's a loner. They know her reputation. They don't come out to the watering hole with her. But whatever the reason, she can't keep a husband, and she's not really ready to talk about it either. So what she does is she kind of diverts 
the, the conversation to, to kind of get Jesus off topic. And she begins to talk about theology or religion, and she talks about Jews and Samaritans and where they're supposed to worship. Go back to the text. Jump in at verse 19. It says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Woo-hoo. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So talking about the differences between the Samaritans and the Jews and where they worship. And I don't have time to get into verses 21 through 24. Key stuff here. I have given messages on those passages alone. In essence, what that is saying is it's not about the place you go. It's about the intentions of your heart. Perhaps in the Old Testament, it was more about where you arrived and going to the temple and offering sacrifices and such there. But now it's about the spirit in which you come. It's about your intentions of your hearts. It doesn't matter on March 4th, whether we're here or whether at the community center, just as long as we are gathering and we gather together to worship the Lord. It's not about a place anymore. It's about the attitude of your heart that you come forward with. Then the woman kind of tries to um, blow off Jesus. Look at what she does in verse 25. He's been explaining some of this stuff. It says, the woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all these things. So in my mind's eye, I have her idea that she's been here at the well. She's got this jar with her, and she's put it down. Now she's ready to be done with the conversation because Jesus may be pushing a little too far. He shined a little bit too much truth on her. And so she picks up her jar, and she says, oh, well, you know what? The Messiah, when he comes, he's going to figure that all out. I'm just going to be on my way. And as soon as she talks about the Messiah, Jesus in verse 26 says this. He says, I who speak to you am he. Drop the mic, right? (laughs) Bam. There it is. And at that moment, you have to imagine she stops. She turns back around. She places her jar back down. Because now she's in touch with a thirst that she's not always comfortable discussing. She's not always comfortable looking at. But she realizes that Jesus, the Messiah, is offering her something that she cannot get with that jar. And I'm sure that this is now starting to sink in. But in that moment of maybe realization... John, the author, reintroduces the disciples back into the story. Verse 27 says, Just then the disciples came back. Remember, they were in the city buying food. It says they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Now watch what happens here in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar, and went away into the town and said to the people, let's stop the story right there. The woman left her water jar. See something significant about that? The thing that she had come to fill up her life with, the thing that maybe even was her buffer, passing people on the city road as she walked back and forth to say, well, at least if this is maybe between us, I don't have to be seen as 
being alone. Maybe this is my companion now. This is what I'm going to be filling my life with. She leaves that there and now goes into the city. Verse 28 again. The woman left her water jar, went away into the town, and said to the people, here's where the story goes, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And you got to imagine, the men, when they heard her say, he told me all that I ever did, the men are like, we know everything you've done too. It's all over the town. What's the big deal about that? You don't have to be a prophet to know that. I mean, we've heard that. Somehow, though, somehow, she let down her defenses enough to say, no, I'm, I'm being transparent here. I, I'm letting down the walls. I, I'm coming clean in front of you. And there was something about the way she said what she said that made these other people say, let's go see for ourselves. Verse 39. Watch. This is where this is going. Many Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. See, she's just a conduit. She's saying, hey, I've met him, and she doesn't tell them everything that he is, and hey, he's Messiah, and he's got it all together, and here's what he said, and here's how, what you need to believe and such. She just says, go, see for yourself, and they did. 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. There he is, the Savior of the world. There there are so many great teachings in this story. I don't even have time to touch on all of them. Everything from what are you trying to fill your life up with to where and to how we worship, to in verse 35 it talks about the spiritual fields being white for harvest and all of that. But the spiritual lesson that probably gets talked about the least in the midst of this story is the natural sharing that this woman does that shows that God can and God does use anyone. And as I said at the beginning of this message... There are people in heaven, in heaven for eternity, because of what this woman did by simply inviting people to come see who Jesus was. You know, today at 11 or 12.30, there's going to be something kind of unique that will take place uh, here in the sanctuary. Not that it's a wedding, because we're having a wedding here. That's not the unique thing. The unique thing is that um, the bride and groom approached me and said, um, about nine months ago, and said, you know, we would love to have the wedding that would be right on the tail end of our 11.15 worship service. And they said, we would actually love to invite our friends to come to the church and experience the worship service and then just stay for our wedding ceremony. I'd never heard that before. Danny Keith, who is our youth pastor, our, our youth director with our senior high group, and Miranda Sheffield are getting married today. Miranda uh, actually works in our preschool uh, full-time. She's a lead teacher there, but she's also on our worship team. 
Today they're getting married right after the 1115 service. And the significance of it is so neat because, again, like I said, they, their lives have been changed by interacting with all of you, by worshiping their God in the midst of this congregation and at this church. And they wanted their friends, many of you maybe who don't even go to church, to experience that, not just come to a wedding ceremony, but to experience that first and then get to see the ceremony. And so I sat down with Miranda and Danny. Um, they were actually right here on this stage um, about five days ago. Um, and we filmed them because I wanted them in their own words to share with you how God laid that upon their heart. So let's go ahead and take a look. Uh, I'm Miranda Sheffield. And I'm Danny Keith. And we're getting married in five days today. It's crazy to think about. We've been together for three years. And ever since the first date, it was very important to both of us that we had our relationship with Christ in the center. You know, it's just, it's always been very important to us that it would be glorifying to God. And now thinking about us being married, you know, it just, it, we both want it to glorify God. Yeah, and that's one of the main reasons we, we picked doing it on a Sunday right after Sunday, sir, or like directly following the service is because when you look biblically, I mean, in John 2, the first miracle Jesus performs is at a wedding. And it's the Jewish culture, the whole entire culture would come around. Um, all the people would come to the wedding, and it'd be a week-long celebration. And, and you just see this, this beautiful sense of a community that comes together and celebrates together. And so... Um, that's what we wanted to do with this. We wanted to make this a wedding where um, not only our friends and our family are here to celebrate with us, but also our church family because mm -hmm. it's really become that. I mean, Miranda, how long have you been going to this church? Uh, since I was born. My parents met here, and Danny and I met here, and I just, I grew up here. So this whole community is like my family. It's my church family. Yeah. And so it's just crazy. And, and I've been basically adopted into the church. I came and started <laughs> just serving and, and plugging away. And it's just such a, such a humbling um, time for us to be able to come in front of our, not only our friends and family, but our church family who's rallied behind us and, and mm -hmm. supported us and supported our ministries. And, and it's just been really awesome. And it's just awesome that we can come together under God to to celebrate it as a, as a big church. And so we're just so glad to have all of, all of you guys here and, and to just be a part of that. It's just so important to us. Mm -hmm. All right, we're so excited to see you guys at 1230 um, as me and Miranda get ready to spend the rest of our lives together. So see you in a little bit. Is that not cool or what? <laughs> what a unique idea to invite people to come, to celebrate together and see a part of their lives that maybe not everybody has seen. And so, you know, as they gather in just a little bit, the next service, and I'm going to tell them all as I'll tell you, whether you're here for the first time or the 3,000th time of coming into First Baptist Church, we invite anybody to come and experience this God who loves, this God who cares, this God who comes alongside of us and shares truth with us, because the message of the gospel is that God made you, created you, loved you, and yet sin got in the way. My sin, your sin, every one of our sins got in the way. And so God was not, allowing, uh, God was not allowed to fill up our lives fully as he first intended it because of sin. 
And we try and now fill our lives up with other things. And it's at that place where we say, God, nope, these other things will never bring me happiness. Only you will, that we realize that that relationship with God is for us and for us directly. And so why he sent his son Jesus into this world was to go to the cross and die for our sins. And because Jesus went to the cross and made a way for us to experience a relationship with God, Old Testament said it was the killing of an animal, New Testament it was Jesus who went to the cross for us. That opened the way for God to have a relationship. As John writes, for all who believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you may have life. And so today I want to share that with you. Again, whether you're here for the first time or you've been here numerous times before. Maybe if you've been a believer or maybe you've been a regular attender around here, maybe there are some things in your jar that you're trying to fill up. That, that you are searching in the wrong places, looking for that love in the wrong places. And today's story, I hope, illustrates for you that it will never be filled other than the truth and the love that God gives to us through His Son, Jesus. Or today, maybe you are ready to say, I never knew that Jesus came for me in that type of a way. I need to take that step. Today is the first day that you have a defining moment of saying yes to Jesus. We're going to take a moment. We're going to do that. And as God's Spirit directs you, we invite you to take a step with Him. Let's pray. God, I thank you for an opportunity that we have to share your truth, to share your incredible love that you came into this world through a man, Jesus. Born what we celebrate at Christmas time. Went to the cross to die of what we talk about at Easter, rose again to new life and alive today. God, I thank you that Jesus rose from the dead, conquered death. Death no longer has to hold a grip upon us, but when we believe that Jesus is God's Son, invite Him into our lives, accept Him in faith, then we will have eternal life with you one day. So, folks, let me ask you, maybe if you have never quite heard that message, maybe today's the day that you say, I want that. I need that in my life. I've been looking for satisfaction. I've been looking for goodness. I've been looking for love in many different places. But today you've learned that it's all about Jesus and his life for you. Jesus said, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. The one that you're waiting for, the happiness, the joy that you're expecting, that comes through me. You know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you today would say, you know what, Pastor Brad, I'm wanting to take that step. I'm praying today to receive Jesus into my life. Would you just look up and make eye contact with me and just, just raise your hand just so that I can see you? Anywhere. Praise God. Yep. Praise God. Thank you. Praise God. Uh-huh. Up in the balcony as well. <clears throat> Praise God. Praise God for both of you. Absolutely. Great to have you here today. Anyone else? Those of you who had the courage to raise your hand, would you just pray this prayer right behind me? Lord Jesus, today I invite you into my life. Today I believe that you are God's son. Went to the cross for me and rose from the dead. Today I pray to receive you into my life.
Folks, you will be in heaven someday because you just prayed that prayer. And we all here are witnesses of that. We are so thrilled for you to take those steps. God, thank you for the new believers, the ones who angels are celebrating with right now. Heaven is just throwing a party for more people who are now a part of your kingdom. Folks, if you're here today and maybe you'd say, you know what, I've been a believer for a while, but I need to take a step. I need to leave behind some things. I need to leave behind a jar that I'm trying to fill up. I need to drink of only the water that Jesus offers, that living water. And today you'd say, you know what, today I want to take that step. I need to. Would you say, Pastor Brad, would you just pray for me? In fact, any of you right now, if you just want to lift up your hands as well, make eye contact with me, lift up your hands just so I can be praying for you. Praise God. I see you. Absolutely. Uh Uh-huh. I'm praying for you specifically up in the balcony. Absolutely. Yep. Others? Yep. I see your hand. Praise God. Good for you. Thank you for the decisions you're making. Yeah, Lord, all over this auditorium, people are taking those steps. They want to walk with you. We celebrate that. We rejoice in that. You know, if you're here today and you prayed to receive Christ for the very first time, perhaps you were invited by a friend. Tell them about that decision you made. I'd love to get to talk with you after the service as well. We also have some information we want to get into your hands to help you take your next step with Jesus. We are so thrilled for you. Others of you who made that decision to rededicate your life or to leave some things behind, I'd suggest you share that with a friend as well or I'll be down here in the front of the auditorium if you'd just like to pray. We want to help you take that step as well. God, I thank you for the decisions that have been made here. For a woman 2,000 years ago who had the boldness to invite, the boldness to question, the boldness to talk, the boldness to see the truth that came upon her life. And Lord, I thank you today for the courage of so many in here to take those steps as well. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your spirit being alive and working in us. For it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And all God's children said, 